Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good evening. How are we doing tonight, Summit Church? Good. I'm so glad you're here. Hope you're having a great day. That was bonus coverage for you. You could get that on the side screen if you want. Uh, we hope you're having a great day today. Uh, my name is Mel Massingale. I'm one of the pastors here at Summit. I hope you've had a, a, enjoyed the weather today. Some of you might have gotten out for the car cruise that we had here at the Summit this morning. But uh, whatever you've done today, whatever brought you here, we're glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. If you're watching online, no matter where you may be or how you may be joining us, thanks so much for making the summit a part of your day. We pray that God blesses you as you worship with us tonight. And uh, again, uh, if you're watching from parts unknown, let us know where you're watching from. We love connecting with those that are watching online. And so thank you so much for worshiping with us tonight. I do want to remind you, growth track happens during our 11 a.m. worship experience every week. It is not just something I talk about. It's something you need to be a part of. So if uh, you're not sure your place at the summit, if you're not sure how to get involved, if you're not sure uh, how to get connected, build relationships, any of those kind of things, uh, that is your next step. So go check out growth track during the 11 a.m. worship experience every weekend up in our youth auditorium. Show up anytime. Uh, we're glad to have you up there. Um, so today is our last day of Man Cave. We're finishing the series this weekend. But before we do that, um, I, I want to remind you, uh, number one, we start at the movies two weeks from today. So you want to be here. We're going to have a great time. It's for all your friends who don't like church. Bring them during at the movies in the month of July. They're going to have a great experience and they're going to meet God. So bring them during the month of July. And I'm excited that today, as we're continuing this man cave, or finishing our man cave series, uh, I get to do a baby dedication today. And so uh, I'm going to invite uh, the Zeisman family to join me on stage at this time. It's good to see you guys. Oh. So tonight we get to dedicate uh, Jensen to the Lord, and tomorrow during our 11 a.m. worship experience, we've got several more. I think we've got three families tomorrow that have kids that are being dedicated, and so I'm excited that we get to do this this evening. Now, if you are new to Summit, baby dedication at Summit is really not for the babies. Uh, we don't believe that anything miraculous happens with a child because they're dedicated. What this is is really just an opportunity for the parents to say and acknowledge to God that this child is a gift. And we acknowledge to raise this child in, in a way that honors you. And so really it's more about the parents than it is about the kids. And so if, if, uh, if you're from a different church background, that might not make sense to you. But tonight, this is really about you guys saying, God, we want to honor you with the way we raise this little boy. And, uh, and I'm excited for that. Uh, the, the idea of baby dedications are derived from... Um, the priest Samuel, his mother Hannah, wanted a baby so bad, and she went uh, to the to the 
the temple and she prayed. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 27, For this child I prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And what she's saying is, this child really isn't mine. So when we lend, it's something we own that we give away. But what she's saying is, no, no, this baby's not mine. He's the Lord's, that I'm just stewarding him. And that's really what this is about, is understanding, hey, Jensen is a gift, and we're stewarding him the best way we can. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And really what we see from Moses here is he says, hey, it's not enough just to have religion in your life. It's got to be something you talk about. It's got to be the foundation for who you are. Jensen's got to know that uh, God loves him, not just because he hears it from a kid's pastor or from a church, but he hears it from his mom and dad. He's got to see that displayed in their lives. And that's really what Moses is getting at. Is this has to be an active part of your life. And so for, for Michael and Sarah, my, my challenge to you guys today is this, um, is to love the Lord God with every ounce and fiber of your being and to teach your child, to teach Jensen to do the same. And as you love God and love one another, you'll model for Jensen how beautiful it is to be in relationship with God and our prayers that he'll desire that for himself when he sees that in you guys. Uh, we have to be careful to teach and live out scripture, even the parts that make us uncomfortable, because uh, there's parts that we like a little more than others at times, and their lives should be saturated with the word of God. So what Jensen, my prayer is that his life will be so saturated by the Holy Spirit in your lives that it'd just be a natural response for him. So what I'm going to ask you guys to do is to enter into a following commitment in the presence of God and, and the people in this room and all the people that are watching online as well, so no pressure. <laughs> so that Jensen may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers, do you as parents vow by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide Jensen a Christian home of love and peace, to raise him in the truth of the Lord's instruction and discipline, and to encourage him to one day trust Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord? If so, answer, we do. Now, modeling this kind of behavior is difficult, it is not easy, and it really does require uh, people outside of the home. And so sitting in the room, there's some friends and family, maybe you're here today and you don't even know these guys, but, but we are a church family together, and so what we're asking you to do is to make a commitment as well. Uh, do you, as the church, declare your desire to help these parents fulfill the vow that they have just made by influencing and reinforcing what the Word of God says for their lives? If so, please respond by saying, we do. This is the fun part. Will he let me hold him? Yeah. <laughs> if he doesn't, he'll just cry. Come here, my man. He'll just cry. Oh, my goodness. Oh, hello. Hi there, my man. How are you? You see how big his eyes are getting? He's like, I've never seen anyone this ugly in my life. <laughs> oh, it's so good to see you. <laughs> oh, let me turn him around. Can you guys see him okay? Hello, my man. He's got a neck like I do. Everybody loves his hair. <laughs> his hair. Oh, what a handsome man. If you would, uh, would you mind, if you're comfortable, why don't you stretch out your hand toward Jensen? We're going to pray a blessing over him and his family. God, thank you so much for Jensen. Lord, I thank you for this little life that you have blessed this family with. God, I pray right now you would anoint him, that you would bless him, that you would 
order his steps, that, Lord, I pray when the time is right, he will come into saving knowledge of you, that he would commit his life to you. And, Lord, I pray that you would use him in miraculous ways, that, God, you would use him to be a soul winner. You would use him to reach people. You would use him to change culture. You would use him to change, uh, change and influence the world in which he lives. So, God, I pray a blessing on him. I pray your holy anointing on him. I pray you bless his family. I pray it for health, for strength for guidance, for direction. I pray for his parents, you give them wisdom. God, give them discernment and understanding. And I just pray you'd bless this home with health, with physical, emotional, spiritual health. And I pray that you be glorified through them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, little man. He didn't cry at all. He must love me. <laughs> Babies can't get enough of me. Oh, well, I'll give him back to you. God bless you guys. Can we give them a round of applause? Thank you guys. Love you. God bless you. Thank you. Most babies do not love me, by the way. Well, thank you for being here tonight. I got some sympathy over here. Thank you for being here tonight and worshiping with us. Um, before we jump into the message, I do want to let you know, next weekend, we've got a very special announcement. You want to be here next weekend? I'm excited for some things that God is doing here. Not some, I'm excited for all that God's doing here. But next weekend, we've got a special announcement. I'd love for you to be here. Uh, and we're going to be in between series. So we're finishing Man Cave today, or this weekend. And we're starting at the movies the first weekend of July. But I'm telling you, you don't want to miss next weekend. So be here next weekend. Uh, make it a point. You won't regret it. So be here. Uh, tonight, uh, <laughs> uh, we've walked through this series together. And uh, really, the premise of the series Man Cave is this idea that... Um, we all end up at a cave at some point in our lives. Something will take us there. Maybe it is insecurity or fear. Uh, maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's uh, whatever it is. Something drives us to the cave at different points in our lives. And it's not a sin to be in the cave. Uh, but if we don't escape from that place, it can cause incredible damage to us to our walk with Christ, to our families, to our friends, to the people around us, to God's call in our life, has ramifications and ripple effects that, that spread. And we'll see that tonight. It was funny, last week uh, I was talking to a guy after church, and he said, uh, Pastor Mel, you're, you're talking about people's experiences in caves, right? I said, yeah. And he said, you got one more week left, right? I said, I do. And he said, uh, you're not going to talk about Lot and his daughters, because that'd be horrible. I said, nah, I probably won't talk about Lot and his daughters. He said, good, that's a relief, because it would be awkward if you did. I said, no, yeah, no problem, I understand. So I want to let you know tonight I'm talking about Lot and his daughters. <laughs> I hadn't necessarily planned on it, but when I really got into it, I was like, oh, this is the direction we have to go tonight. And so if you don't know this story, you'll understand why he said it's incredibly awkward. It is a little bit awkward, but it's in the Bible, so we're not going to skirt around it because this is something we need to talk about. Um, so tonight we are, we are going to jump right in. But, but what I, I want you to know tonight is there are times that things take us to the cave that, um, that are not our own fault necessarily. It's circumstances or situations that will influence us and get us to a cave season of our lives. But sometimes it's our own sinful behavior that takes us there. Sometimes it's, it's our unwise decisions. Sometimes, if I can say it this way, it's our own stupidity. That we end up at a place and we think, how did I get here? And it's because our decisions have led us there. And so that's what I want to talk about just for a little bit with you tonight. 
I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 19, verse 30, and I'm actually going to walk backwards through the scripture. I know that's a little unorthodox. We're going to start in Genesis 19, 30 tonight. And it says, Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And now you're thinking, this doesn't sound too bad. Well, we haven't gotten to the bad part yet. Um, What we see is, after this part of the story... Lot's daughters are alone. It's their dad and these two daughters. And they hatch a plan to get their dad drunk and sleep with him so that they can have kids. Now, again, I told you it was a little awkward. Okay, we're not going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, But what I do want you to know is this. In the society they lived in, we've talked in the past about the kinsman redeemers. So the idea is uh, that if there was a woman who was unmarried, or there was a woman who was a widow, a lot of times they were forgotten about. And so there was law within scripture, within the Hebrew law, that said, hey, here's how these women are supposed to be taken care of. And in their minds, they were thinking, we've got to be taken care of, and the best way for us to be taken care of is to have a child, because then if our dad ever dies, we'll still have a child that'll help take care of us. And so in their minds, they were thinking, this is the best thing we can do to make sure we're taken care of down the road. This was not, should not be viewed as, um, so it, it should not be viewed in the context that we would view it in today. It was still ungodly. It was still wrong. But uh, it was not the same as it would be in the context of today's world. Does that make sense to anybody? <laughs> you're like, no, it does not make sense, Mel. You should have preached the other message, is what you're thinking right now. So understand that Lot's daughters, and we'll get to how they ended up here in just a moment, but they were thinking, in order to sustain and preserve our lives, we've got to have kids. How do we have kids? What is the only thing we can do? And they took this route. Now, we can criticize, because we wouldn't do that, but how many times have we said, I'm in trouble, I've got to force a way, I've got to figure out a way, I'm not going to wait on God to sort this out, I'm going to do it myself. We get into trouble all the time doing that because we go, God, I know you said you're in control, but I don't know if you're really in control, so I'm going to figure out a better path. And that's what they did. So how did we get there? Because what we see in Scripture is Lot was a righteous man. Lot was the, um, the nephew of Abraham, who was the patriarch of Christian faith, uh, one of the patriarchs of Christian faith. He's one of the patriarchs of the Muslim faith and Jewish faith as well. Um, so really, he is influential in the vast majority of religious people throughout the world. Uh, and so Lot was his nephew. And I just want to give a little context, but let's back up in the story just a little bit. So let's, let's read Genesis 19, 12 through 14. Because what we see here is Lot was living in a wicked place. And Sodom and Gomorrah were known for their wickedness beyond what our culture knows today. A lot of people think it's purely homosexuality. But what we see in Scripture, Sodom and Gomorrah was totally depraved, totally wicked, totally godless. And what we see is he was living there. And God warns Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just wipe these cities off the map. And Abraham says, well, wait a second, God. What if there are 50 righteous men in the town? And I love how he barters with God, as if God's not sure how many there are. He's like, mm, well, let me check. And, you know, 
So, hey, what if there's 50? I would spare the city for 50. I would spare the unrighteous for the 50 righteous if they were there. Anyway, okay, there's no 50. What about 40? I would do that, but there's not 40. What about 30? I would do that, but there's not 30. What about 20? In this whole city, I would, but there's not 20 righteous people. What about 10? It feels like when you negotiate with your kids a little bit. Do you ever negotiate with your kids? My kids never win. Because <laughs> I'll be like, hey, it's time to go to bed. Can I stay up 30 more minutes? No, you can stay up one more minute. Well, what about 20? You have to go to bed right now or you're going to be punished. Okay, okay, one more minute. Like, that's how I negotiate with my girls. I'm ruthless. So they don't even try to negotiate with me anymore. And so it's crazy that Abraham was trying to negotiate with God because he has to know God is omnipotent. He knows exactly how many righteous people there are. But God says, there aren't even 10 righteous people. So what we see is um, th- these angels show up to town, and they're trying to get Lot and his family out of town. And this is where we'll pick up in Genesis 19, 12. And it says, then the men said to Lot, have, have you anyone else here? So they're, these angels show up, and they say, we're getting you out of town. We're going to exfil you out of this city. Um, do you have anyone here? And it says, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Let me stop there for a second. The angels, have, they're saying, hey, the, the outcry, the, the Spirit of God can't contend with this wickedness anymore. What we see in the Old Testament, because we'll hear, I'll hear people from time to time say, if God is really a loving God, why would he wipe out the Canaanites? Or why would he, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, if he's really loving? And so what they're trying to say is if he was loving, he, that somehow violates his righteousness. He can't be loving and righteous. But what we see here and what we see in the Old Testament in several places is this idea that there is a cup of iniquity. And we see this especially when they go into the, the promised land. Uh, the, the cup of iniquity was full. God gives chance after chance after chance after chance after chance, and his heart is for repentance. But there comes a point in time when our heart is set against God. And that's where we see uh, these cities. They were set against God. They were so wicked and so depraved that God had given them chance after chance. And, and so that what the angel of the Lord says is God has given them every chance he can, and, and it's, it's time to end the wickedness. So in verse 14, it says, So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, so his daughters were married, and he said "Who they were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. Now listen to this. It says, But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Now, I'm going to speculate just a little bit. This is not in Scripture. But I have to wonder... If religious law, if the word of God was important to Lot, if this was something he talked about regularly, if this was something, as we talked about in the baby dedication, that he had raised his girls with the understanding of who God really was and how righteous he is, how he is just and loving, if he had talked about this with his sons-in-law, would they have thought he was joking with them? Because he goes to warn them about the seriousness of what's about to happen, and they laugh. <laughs> oh, God. Good one. Good one, Lot. 
Sure, yeah, God's going to rain down fire on us, right? And I can't help but think about um, those of us who try to invite our friends to church and they think we're joking. Because maybe there's a disconnect between the way we live and what we're trying to engage them in. Maybe there's a disconnect between the way Lot was living and and what he was trying to engage his sons-in-law in. So he had, he had really downplayed the spiritual in his life. And then when the spiritual becomes important, it seems out of character because you've never really valued this before, so why are you valuing this now? And again, I'm speculating a little bit, but you have to wonder why they thought he was joking. And I think this is important for us to understand. If we want to be taken seriously when it comes to spiritual things, we have to take spiritual things seriously. I'm not saying you need to go around telling your coworkers, God's going to rain down fire in this place. You better repent right now. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is spiritual conversation shouldn't be out of the norm for you. And then when it's time to have a spiritual conversation, nobody's going to think it's weird. So they thought he was kidding. Get your stuff. We got to go. And they laughed. Genesis 19.15 says, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot. So they were there through the night having these conversations. And they urged Lot saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Verse 16 says, but he lingered. I got to be totally honest with you. I want to stop right there. This is convicting for me. Because as I read this, I've told you guys before, I've never preached a message that was for you. I've always preached messages that were for me. And if you got something out of it, that's a bonus for me. But God deals with my heart whenever I'm bringing the word to you. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit convicted me and asked, where are the places that you linger that you shouldn't linger? I was convicted. Now, I'm not lingering any place that would cause me to forfeit being able to minister. But there's areas of my life that I need to look at and go, okay, um, have, have I be, been desensitized to some things in my life? I told someone uh, not long ago, we were talking about how this happens in our lives. And um, all of our musicians, all the ones that played stringed instruments, if you look at their fingers, the ones that play guitar, you're going to see calluses on their fingers. Why? Because their fingers have been desensitized. They build up calluses. And what happens is our heart can build up calluses to certain things in our lives, certain conversations, certain jokes, certain things that, that maybe we should be aware of, but our hearts have been calloused to. And this causes us to linger in places that we shouldn't linger. And this was a moment that I think Lot, his heart was probably calloused. He didn't realize how wicked the city was because he lived there. He was used to seeing it day in, day out. And when it was time to go, when it was time to save his family, when it was time to run, he lingered. Do, Do we have to? I mean, I, I know, I know they're wicked. I know they're not godly, but they're my neighbor. But they're not that bad, right? How many times have we had that conversation with God? 
Well, well, God, I don't know why you don't want me to watch that. It's not that bad. There's only a little nudity. <laughs> now you're really thinking, I wish you preached the other message, aren't you? God, I don't know why you want me to stop watching that. There's only a few F-bombs in this. God, if, if I couldn't watch something without a little cursing, I couldn't watch anything. God, I know they're not, you know, not going to church, and they're not godly, but, but I'm just spending a little time with them. God, I know it's not, he's not a man of God, but who am I supposed to date if I don't date this guy? So, right? And what happens? We linger someplace we shouldn't linger. We stay too long. <laughs> but I love, I love the forceful grace of God. Because he doesn't, he doesn't force us to convert, but his grace is forceful at times. And what we see here is the graceful force of God. It says, so the men seized him. They grabbed him when he lingered. When he was staying too long, they go, uh-uh. You're coming with us, bucko. Let's go. They seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. It was the mercy of God that caused them to be snatched out of this place. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. I love the mercy of God. Is God just? Yes. Is he righteous? Yes. But he's merciful. He, he wants to show mercy. That is his desire. And even in this moment when Lot was lingering, going, oh, I don't know, I don't I know, what, I hear what you're saying. The mercy of God compelled the angels to grab them by the hands and drag them out. Again, man, I don't know how many times uh, I've been dragged out of stores by my mom when I was a kid. I remember vividly. <laughs> vividly when i was a kid there was a, a star wars i mean i'm a i'm a nerd i'm full-on nerd i don't even hide it but there was a darth vader full mask whole helmet over your head that i saw at a store at the mall and i needed that for my life to be made complete <laughs> i knew if i had that my life would be whole and I stood in front of that store, I remember this, at Crossroads Mall in Oklahoma City. You don't want to go to Crossroads now. Uh, Crossroads, and I'm standing there in front of the window, and I'm gazing upon it, the heavenly light shining down on it. I know I need this. And mom, can I please? And I don't remember, it was like $70 for a mask, you know, in, in 1985. So, I mean, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money today. And I'm going, I need this. You know, an eight-year-old needs a $75 Darth Vader mask. I need it, please. I'm begging her. No, 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 no. Finally, she's like, I'm leaving. And she's walking away. I'm leaving. And I remember her grabbing me by the hand and dragging me. And oh, like, no, Darth Vader, I need it, right? And she's dragging me away against my will out of Crossroads Mall. And, and I can imagine the angels dragging Lot and his wife and his daughters out of the city because the mercy of God compelled them. I want you to know something. When we linger, if our hearts are open, the mercy of God will drag us away from there if we let him. But too many times we fall in love with where we are, what we're lingering in, what it means to us. Like I said earlier, we become calloused. 
There's a Chinese proverb that I love. And the Chinese proverb says, he has too many lice to feel an itch. And I think sometimes there are those of us, we have too many lice to feel an itch. We just get used to the itch. That's just normal for us. We get used to the ungodliness around us. We get used to the sin around us. We get used to the stuff around us. And this is where Lot was. He had just grown accustomed to what he saw. And when the time came for him to leave that place, he had to be forced because he lingered. God, help us linger in the right places. That's my prayer. God, help us to linger in your presence. Help us to linger in the places that are going to renew us and strengthen us and build us. Instead of lingering in the places that are going to take from us and strip our identity from us and ultimately bring destruction to us. So what led them to this place? How did we get there? And it's so simple. It started with a dispute between Lot and his uncle. They both had large flocks, large herds, and their, their herdsmen were getting in arguments over, no, this is our land, no, this is our land, and these are my, why are your sheep in with our sheep, and all these kind of things. There were disputes among this family, and Lot and Abraham came and they talked about it, and Abraham, being a godly man, said, hey, you know what? You pick the land you want, and I'll take whatever's left. And that's how we'll settle this dispute. So if, if you pick the best, I'll take the worst. No problem. And that's what we see happens. Genesis chapter 13, verse 11. It says, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Now they were still in relationship. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, that's what it says in the English Standard Version. Uh, I'll read it to you in the NIV in just a moment, but this is what it says. Basically, Lot, who was being selfish, said, I want the best land for me and my crops. I'm not going to defer to my spiritual authority. I'm not going to defer to the one I'm supposed to be honoring. I'm going to take the best for me because I'm important and my stuff's important. So what we see is he made a decision that was based on his selfish desires, and you go, well, what's the big deal? He was a little selfish. Well, let me read this to you from the NIV. It said, Abraham lived, uh, Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Uh, the King James Version says, pitched his tent toward Sodom. And this is the thing that's interesting to me. It is not a sin for him to do that. But what he did then this very simple act is what ultimately led to the downfall of his family. He made a decision and said, you know what, it's not going to be that bad, it's not going to hurt. Yeah, I know those people are ungodly and I shouldn't associate with them, but it wouldn't hurt if I just moved that direction a little bit. I'm just going to pitch my tent in that direction. We're going to settle that way. It doesn't mean I'm going to do anything. It doesn't mean I'm going to say, I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to live like those people. But, I mean, let's be reasonable. This is great land. And it's good for my crop. It's good for business. It's good for our finances. It's good for our family. We're going to move that direction. Right? And the next thing we know, they're living in Sodom. Because this is how sin works in our lives. 
It takes little by little by little by little by little. Every sinful decision we've ever made in our lives, think about this, every sinful decision you've ever made in your life, that I've ever made in my life, is always preceded by unwise decisions. Always. Is it sinful for a man and a woman to eat lunch together that aren't married? No. Is it wise? Not necessarily. Is it sinful for uh, two people that dated in high school that are adults and married to exchange messages on Facebook? No, it's not sinful. But is it wise? Because I'm telling you, I've heard some affairs started that way. Now, understand my heart on this. I don't drink. I don't think it's a sin to drink alcohol. I don't think you go to hell if you drink alcohol. But every alcoholic I've ever met started with a drink. I can handle it. I can handle my booze. I'm good. I'm telling you, every sinful decision we've ever made in our life begin with an unwise decision. Begin with us saying, it's not that bad. This, this won't lead anywhere. It won't hurt anything. Nobody's got to know. It's not going to impact anybody but me. And what we see is it does impact over and over and over and over. See, it wasn't sinful for Lot to choose the land he chose. It wasn't sinful for Lot to pitch his tent towards Sodom. But it ultimately led to his downfall, to his demise. This is a thought that's been on my heart a lot lately, and I, I think I've shared it with you, but, but this is something God has just continued to speak to me about lately, and it's this. Our affection determines our direction. And usually I hate rhyming stuff because it just feels gimmicky. <laughs> it, feels, it feels weird to say that. But I truly believe the things I love, the things I'm passionate about, determine the direction for my life. What we see is Lot, he was driven by, motivated by what's good for his finances. It's, this is good for my crops. It's good for my, for my herds if we move this direction. Was it good for his family? No. No. In fact, on the way to the cave, we left this part out. His wife turns back to look at the destruction. And she wasn't just looking back out of curiosity. Because we all aren't supposed to, but don't we all look at car wrecks when we're driving by? Like we slow down and look, oh yeah, that's a bad one. <laughs> I don't know why we do that. We're just like the destruction for some reason. I don't know. So it wasn't just curiosity. I don't think God would have done what he did if it was just simple curiosity. She looks back and she's turned into a pillar of salt. And it, this is significant because her heart was still tied to Sodom. So what we see is his affection determined the direction for their whole family. His decision to pitch his tent towards Sodom is what ultimately led to the death of his wife. And ultimately led to the death of his sons-in-law. Ultimately led to the death of his friends and neighbors, the people that he came to know. What we see is true in Scripture and is true in our hearts as well. The things I care about, the things I love, determine the direction of my life. And if I love good things too much, that can be a sin. If I love anything more supremely than I love Christ, 
That's sin. So what I have to be careful about is managing my affections well, managing my own heart, managing what I love. Because too many of us don't manage our affections well and we end up places we never dreamed we'd end up. There is a story I want to tell you. Uh, like I said, I'm a nerd. I like science. Is anybody else fascinated by like space travel? Like three of you? No, okay. <laughs> Wrong audience. Uh, I am. My daughters asked me the other day, Daddy, would you, if you could fly in space, would you fly in space? Yes. Like I didn't even let them finish the question. Yes, absolutely. You would go to space? I said, yeah. They said, what if it was dangerous? Even better, right? Yeah. I'll take my laser with me, you know, whatever I need to do. I've watched Star Wars. I know how to handle myself in space. You know, one of the Carillion cruisers will be fine, right? Uh, but I love, I've always been fascinated by space, uh, by NASA, and space shuttles, all that kind of stuff. And there was a story that came out a few years ago, and you probably remember this story, a story about an astronaut named Lisa Novak. Um, she was well-known, and I don't know if we have her picture or not, but she was well-known astronaut. Um, yeah, that's what you might know her for, is her mug shots. She actually flew in July of 2006 to the International Space Station because she was so adept at using the, uh, the control arm in space, so she would use it on the space station, she would use it on the space shuttle, I believe it was the Odyssey, um, and she was highly respected, decorated in her field, and she had fallen in love with a man that she probably shouldn't have fallen in love with. Uh, she had met him while she was married, and their relationship developed. She ended up divorcing her husband, and after her husband and she had gotten divorced and she continued this relationship with this man, this man eventually said, now we're done, and he moved on to another relationship, but at that point, um, Lisa was not ready to let go. And if you remember the story, it was sensational. Um, she was arrested in February of 2007, and the report states that Novak drove from Houston to Orlando, Florida on February 4th and 5th of 2007 to confront the woman that her ex-boyfriend was now dating. She packed on her trip, latex gloves, a black wig, a BB pistol and ammunition, pepper spray, a hooded tan trench coat, a two-pound drilling hammer, black gloves, rubber tubing, plastic garbage bags, approximately $585 in cash, approximately $585 in cash, her computer, an eight-inch Gerber folding knife, and several other items before driving the 900 miles to Florida. Early police reports indicated that she wore maximum absorbency garments during the trip. This is a woman with a plan, right? She had spent years working. She spent hours studying to be at the top of her field so that she would be qualified to even be considered to be a NASA, NASA astronaut. She's at the top of her game. And yet her affection took her someplace. See, if you would have asked her before she started a relationship with this man and said, hey, how would you like to have your mugshot on the front page of every newspaper in America? Because if you start a relationship with this guy, that's what's going to happen. You're going to end up driving cross-country all the way, I-10, from Houston to Orlando, wearing adult diapers so you don't have to stop, 
with a crazy idea that it, you're going to at least inflict harm, but maybe kill a woman. What, what do you think about that? She would have said, that's crazy. I would never do something like that, right? I would never date. Why would I do that? Why would I throw everything away? Of course she wouldn't. But that's where she ended up because her affections took her there. And we can criticize and we can laugh about the adult diaper because that is kind of funny, let's be honest. But if we could have known the end before we started something, wouldn't we be in the same place where we go, of course I'm not going to call that person. Of course I'm not going to engage in that relationship. Of course I'm not going to go to that place. Of course I'm not going to whatever it is. If we knew how it would turn out, if we knew that our reputation would be shattered, if we knew that our, our marriage could be lost, if we knew that our credibility could be undermined, if we knew that everything we worked for could be lost in a moment. And that's what Lisa Novak did. She lost it all. She was dishonorably discharged. She lost her rank. She obviously was never going to fly in space again. She was an embarrassment to NASA. And I'm telling you today, we stand to lose so much more if we allow the little things in our lives to get in the way. If we, if we make little decisions like, well, I'll just pitch my tent that direction. Well, I'll just move that way. That's how he ended up in the cave. That singular decision that day to say, I'll take the best instead of the worst, even though I should honor you by letting you take, I'm going to take the best and I'm going to pitch my tent towards Sodom. I would tell you our affection determines our direction, but I, I believe that our thoughts determine our affections. The things I think about regularly are the things that my heart gravitates toward. Um, when I've been hurt by someone, if I think about the hurt, what happens is my heart gravitates that direction. I embrace bitterness. And we wouldn't say we love bitterness, but isn't that what we really do when we choose to stay hurt and choose to stay a victim? We embrace bitterness in our lives. But when I've been hurt and I think the best, and I'm not talking about positive reinforcement, but I'm saying instead of saying, God, I, I pray that you would run over that person with a bus in the name of Jesus. The Bible says pray for your enemy. I'm praying for my enemy, Lord. But when when I can begin to pray prayers and say, God, I pray your blessing on this person. My heart begins to shift that direction. I begin to think those kind of thoughts, begin to put those kind of things in my head, and, and I drive out the ungodly thoughts. I drive out the unbecoming thoughts. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive. We say, no, we're not going to let our hearts go that direction. No, we're not going to love that. I'm going to choose what to love. I'm going to choose what to meditate on. I'm going to choose what to believe. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul is writing to the Philippian church, and at the end of his letter, he, he, he kind of finishes out the letter by saying this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
Do you know what it's saying? Now, I want you to understand this last part where it says, if there's anything worthy of praise, there's a double meaning there. It's talking about looking for the best in others so that you can praise others. Because we want praise, but we're not always quick to give praise. But it's also talking about this idea that in every circumstance, no matter what's going on, we are looking for reasons to give praise to God. And I'm telling you, that mindset will shift everything in your life. If we'll say, you know what, God, I, I know I got laid off today, but God, you know what? I truly believe that you're closing a door so you can open a better door for me. I hadn't, I hadn't planned on telling you this story. This is bonus coverage tonight. Uh, I, I've talked a little about this in the past. I was on staff at a church in Oklahoma City, and this is, I mean, it's not a secret. I've talked about it, but loved where I was, loved what I was doing, um, near family, just seemed like a perfect situation, and out of the blue, uh, my, my boss took away all my responsibilities. And my pastor came to me and said, hey, you know what? <laughs> Basically, he fired me without firing me. And so I worked about another month, and I came back to him and said, hey, if it's okay, I'd like your permission to start looking for another position. You know, if I'm going to be in limbo, and I tried to be as honoring as I could, and he agreed, and just, it was weird, and things had shifted, and, and I was really frustrated with God, going, God, why are you doing this? Because my family's in this area. I mean, people I went to high school with are getting saved at the church I was at. You know, I'd preach, and I'd People would respond to the altar. People would come forward. And I would see people I went to high school with. And I'm like, oh my gosh, right? It was incredible. And so finally, after about another month, my boss came back to me and said, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm not firing you. Uh, I'm going to keep paying you for a little bit, but you just can't come to the office anymore and you need to clean out your office. I'm like, well, that sounds like you're firing me. <laughs> like, oh, no, 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 I'm not firing you. But here's the separation agreement and I need you to sign a do not compete clause. And I'm like, that sounds suspiciously like I'm being terminated. I was so frustrated and hurt, and God, why are you doing this to me? And, and God, I know you want to do something good, but I don't see it right now. And it was this moment um, where, through that process, we end up at Summit Church. And I had been here about three months when a friend of mine called that I had hired at the last church, and he said, hey, I just want to let you know, um, the pastor's not here anymore. He has stepped down because he's had some ungodly moral issues going on in his life and here's what's going on it was crazy it was a mess and what i realized in that moment is just like god said hey you're lingering here too long you got to get out of here and he took them by the hands i was so grateful at that point that god took me by the hand and, and escorted me he drugged me out of the place that i loved so he could bring me to a place that i loved even more and what i'm telling you today is no no you don't have to clap for me you don't have to clap for me stop it stop it what I'm telling you today is, when you get that termination notice, you might be going, God, I thought you were good. But, but when we choose to praise in spite of our circumstances, we go, you know what, God? Maybe you're closing a door to open up a better door for me. Maybe you're going to take away something I like for something I'm going to love. God, maybe, maybe I'm going through this to, to learn something. So God, show me what you want to show me. Help me to learn so I can praise you even more. So I'm going to choose to look for the best instead of the worst. And when we do that, our mindset shifts. But I'm telling you, our affection determines our direction. I want to read this last passage to you. So after they ended up in the cave, after Lot's daughters bore children, it says in Genesis 19.36, Thus both daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and named 
uh, and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So if, if you look at scripture throughout the Old Testament, the Ammonites and the Moabites are antagonistic toward Israel all throughout. Um, their descendants are what we would call the Palestinians today. One of the things that's interesting about this is they worshipped a god named Chemosh. And Chemosh had another name in other cultures called Mel Moloch. And you might have heard his name before. Moloch was a false god. But one of the ways people worshipped um, the, the, this god, Chemosh or Moloch, was to offer their infants as a sacrifice. So literally they would burn their babies to death as an offering for this false god. These two young women decided to make a choice. They said, if we have a child, that's going to save everything. And those children helped propagate a cult that would ultimately take the lives of children. What I see at work here is the evil that Satan wants to bring into our lives. There are ripple effects, both good and bad in our lives, when we simply make the right choice, the little right choices over and over and over and over again. Because what led them there? He pitched his tent towards Sodom. He said, it's not going to hurt anything. It's no big deal. It'll be good for our family. So my question to you tonight is, what are the decisions you're making that seem like they're not that big a deal? It's just a little sacrifice. No, it's not going to hurt anybody. I can justify it, and here's why. It's going to be good for our family. It'll be good for the business. Because what we see is the Bible indicates Lot was a righteous man. And you might be asking yourself, is this going to cost me my salvation? I'm not going to hell if I do this. Well, no, but, but maybe it's going to impact your kids. Maybe it's going to impact your spouse. Maybe it's going to impact your family members. It's going to impact the people you love. It might not cost you your soul. You might not go to hell because you're making this decision, but it might cost you something that you highly value. All because he took a little step in the wrong direction. His lack of wisdom and his selfishness ultimately cost the life of his wife, his sons, our sons-in-law, and his, ultimately his heritage. See, the enemy of your soul is waiting for you to bend the truth, mismanage small decisions, take haphazard approach to, to details that you think aren't that big a deal. It's time for us as the people of God to draw a line and say, no, I'm going to make the right decision, even the little decisions. I'm going to make the right one over and over and over and over again. I told this story a couple years ago, I think it's worth repeating. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with the Titanic and the movie Titanic and um, how Rose selfishly stayed on the door. I won't get into that tonight. <laughs> movie drives me crazy. Uh, it's commonly believed, and a lot of people know this now, that it was you know an iceberg that sank the Titanic, but it wasn't. It was millions of rivets, three million rivets that the, the Titanic had that bolted its skin to, to its um, frame 
uh, they were faulty. The manufacturer, two years before the Titanic even went into production, these rivets were produced, and these rivets uh, were substandard for what they were supposed to be. And the producers of the Titanic knew that they could save some money if they got these lesser rivets, and what difference is it going to make? Nobody will ever know. And so they used these rivets, three million of them, throughout the ship. And what they realized, scientists, after they found the remains of the Titanic was, in fact, that it was the rivet's fault that the Titanic didn't perform as it was supposed to. Because if they had had the right rivets, uh, certain compartments would have filled with water, but it wouldn't have torn and gouged the side of the ship. It wouldn't have flooded the ship like it did. It was simply because someone said, it's no big deal. So it's, it's a rivet. It's something small. It's, what difference could it make? And for us, over and over and over and over again, we end up in a cave because we have said, what difference is it going to make? It's a small thing. It's a little thing. It's no big deal. But what we don't understand is we're jeopardizing the integrity of our lives because we're cutting corners. Because we go, oh, it's no big deal. Nobody's going to know. What will it hurt? It's just a little bit of porn. It's just a little bit of whatever it is. It's just a small conversation. It's not going to hurt. It's just a little white lie. And those decisions over and over and over, those unwise decisions ultimately lead to a sinful decision. And I'm telling you today, your family is worth you making the right decisions today, over and over and over. Your reputation is worth you making the right decisions today, over and over. Your heritage is worth more. So make the right decisions today. The little decisions that you think don't really matter that much, they do matter, because it's your integrity. Maybe you're here tonight, and the most important decision you can make in your life, maybe you've never made, and that's to surrender your life to Christ. Because none of us are moral enough to get to heaven. None of us are moral enough to appease God. We can only come to God through the blood of Christ, through his sacrifice. And so if you've never surrendered your life, or maybe you're here and you've prayed, but, but the truth is you've never really given him your life before. You've gone through the motions, but you've never really been serious about it. I, I want you to surrender it all tonight. I want tonight to be the night you say, hey, I'm going to start making right decisions, wise choices, and they're going to start with the, the best choice I can make tonight, right now. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. God, I'm asking you tonight that you move in our hearts, that you move in our lives, that you help us see how good you are. You'd help us see what you want to do in our lives. You'd help us see the consequences of these little choices. And how the wrong choice over and over and over again is going to lead us to a place that ultimately is going to bring destruction. It's ultimately going to upend our lives. So God, I pray tonight would be the night that we'd say yes to you. And we'd say yes to making wise choices, just the little things over and over and over that will bring glory to you. That will bring health to our lives, to our families. Let it begin with us. God, let us take responsibility for our decisions, for who we are. And let us submit our hearts fully to you so that you could do the work in us that you want to do. Now, with nobody looking around, I just want to ask, if you're here tonight, you say to me, Mel, what you described as me, I'm not really walking with God. And, and quite frankly, I find myself in a place that I realize I got here because of my own unwise or sinful choices. And I need God to rescue me. And I need God's help tonight. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough tonight? To slip your hand up real high and acknowledge that and say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me. Tonight I want to give my life to Christ. I want to start 
making wise choices by making this wise choice. Yeah, thank you. On my right, I see you, ma'am. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel? Tonight, I want to start with the most important decision. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Anyone else want to join this one? All right. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me. Say this out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, and thank you for giving your life to pay for my sins. I turn away from my old life, and I'm chasing after you. Help me make wise choices that will bring you glory. And help me live a life that points people towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause, can't we? I see him clapping back there. That makes me happy. Maybe there's a one-year-old in the back of the room. He's clapping with us like, yeah. I just want you to know, if you prayed that prayer tonight and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, you're a new creation. Uh, the Word of God tells us that the old is gone and the new has come. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean everything in your life is perfect or fixed. What it means is that God is with you and he's going to walk through your imperfection with you. Uh, so we want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you prayed that prayer, take just a moment and you can fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you. On one side it says need prayer, on the other side it says salvation. Fill out the side of the card that says salvation. Take it to our info center when we finish here in just a few minutes. Give it to them. They're going to give you a new Bible. And it's just our way of, of helping you on your journey. So again, take a minute and do that. We'd love to help you. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us, we would love to help you take the next step. You can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we respond back to you. We're going to help you take the next step. We're going to help you find a church in your area, whether it's here in Indiana or somewhere throughout the United States or even the world. We'll help you find a church that you can connect with and begin to grow in your faith. So thank you for worshiping with us tonight. Here's what's going to happen right now. The worship team is going to lead us. One more song. We're going to sing together. We're going to worship our God together. While we're doing that, our prayer team is going to come up, and they'll be on either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all today, no matter what it may be, I would love for you to step out as we begin to sing. Find one of them. Let them agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, when we're done singing, um, somebody, one of our staff is going to come. I don't know who. Somebody's going to come up and close us out in just a minute. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go tonight. Guys, I tell you often, I hope you know it, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful night.